Welcome to Facts Matter, the podcast discussing Michigan public policy through a research lens. Facts Matter is brought to you by the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, a 104-year-old independent nonprofit research organization that provides unbiased information on the significant issues concerning state and local government organization and finance. Our research can be found at crcmich.org. Now, let's dive into the facts that matter. Welcome back to another edition of Facts Matter. My name is Joe Steele. I'm here with Tim Mischling, Research Associate with the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Tim, uh, thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. So we just came out of a, uh, an election season where we were electing a president, uh, Congress was up, we had a U.S. Senate seat here in Michigan, and as people were bombarded with advertisements and mailings, uh, healthcare was uh, something that people were talking about across the board. And a lot of it was around the Affordable Care Act. We know the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare, has been around for 10 years, but it still is a topic of discussion when it comes to elections and, and, and politicians and, and policy making. Um, the Supreme Court was actually dealing with a, with a case, and, and you wrote about this in a recent uh, Citizens Research Council of Michigan blog about what impact that would have on Michigan. So let's start there uh, with the Supreme Court case. What what is that? What did that look like? And, and, and can you give us a nutshell of what that impact could be on the people of Michigan? Sure. So this obviously, is, even though the, the act is 10 years old, this isn't the first time that it's been before the Supreme Court. And it's faced quite a few challenges. And there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the law. In, in this instance, um, the, the court case hinges on the question of the individual mandate. Uh, which is the part of the law that says you have to buy health insurance. And previously, uh, the NFIB v. Sibelius uh, case, the, the Supreme Court decided that that was constitutional based on Congress's ability to levy taxes because essentially um, it's not that you're mandated to buy health insurance, it's that there's a tax penalty if you don't. Um, when we went to the most recent uh, presidential administration and changes in Congress, uh, there was a lot of talk, as you said, of, of repealing and then repeal and replace Obamacare. Um, that didn't come to fruition, but what did happen uh, with sweeping tax changes uh, in 2017 was that the tax penalty for the individual mandate was zeroed out. And so now there has been a series of legal arguments that without that tax penalty, that individual mandate is no longer constitutional because it was declared constitutional on the basis of it being a tax. And so that's essentially the question before the Supreme Court. They first have to determine if uh, the Republican attorneys general uh, that have brought this case forward, if they have standing, um, make a determination on whether or not the individual mandate as it stands is constitutional. And then finally, it's the, there's a question of severability. Can they just strike out the individual mandate and leave the rest of the Affordable Care Act as it is? Or does removing that individual mandate invalidate the entire law? And that seems to be the crux of the, of the question. If it is repealed or taken apart by by law as you mentioned um what does that mean to 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 michigan as as noted um it has uh, provided more coverage for uh residents of michigan um and it has provided some other benefits so can you talk about i guess what 
what impact that would have on people who not only participate in the marketplace and the ACA, but also folks who, who, who don't, because it sounds like from what you discovered is that it would impact both groups of people. Yeah. It's so, um, I tend to, to try to be pretty even handed and, and not, you know, given to hyperbole, but I think repealing the ACA suddenly without any sort of transition period and without some sort of replacement would just be catastrophic, not only for Michigan, but for the entire country. Um, it would create chaos in the health sector at large, uh, and it would have economic consequences, particularly uh, during the, the global pandemic that we're still going through. So as you mentioned, um, I wrote in the blog around a million people between the Medicaid expansion that we have, the Healthy Michigan Plan, as well as the various exchanges and, and other mechanisms and, and subsidies. It's about one in 10 people uh, have gotten insurance directly from the Affordable Care Act. What a lot of people don't realize is that in addition to the people who get their health insurance directly, there are a lot of provisions that protect patients, uh, various consumer protections that were included in the ACA, um, and various other programs where states have changed what was in place before, uh, such as the way we provide healthcare to the prison population, the way we structure mental health and substance abuse treatment benefits, all of these things have shifted to accommodate the Affordable Care Act. And in many cases, they've been made better as a result. Um, the pricing of our employer-sponsored plans, if you have you know, health insurance through your job, those have been affected by the relative risk within uh, insurance pools uh, based on the Affordable Care Act. And so research in one of our previous papers found that states that had, for instance, expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act had lower insurance costs than mm -hmm. states that didn't expand Medicaid. So it really, it affects everyone. And we live in a divided society, as you mentioned, we just came out of a presidential election that is still being discussed in terms of who the winner is or will eventually be. Um, but it sounds like you noted that very few people uh, agree with just repealing it. Uh, is that correct? Is that what you found or research shows? I mean, if polls are to be believed, and I think <laughs> that we can't even find agreement um, on that issue, but um, coming into the most recent congressional push to repeal the Affordable Care Act, that really rapidly became repeal and replace because a single digit number of voters at that point supported repealing the entire thing outright without some sort of replacement plan. Of course, no viable replacement plans came to be. And so I think that may, and you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict what the Supreme Court is going to decide. None of us know yet. But the fact that when they consider congressional intent that the same Congress that removed the tax penalty for the individual mandate did not choose to repeal the entire law suggests that that probably is severable. Um, I think the other irony of the individual mandate being the least popular part of the Affordable Care Act is that it was introduced as a counterbalance to protections for people with pre-existing conditions, which is often the thing that everyone agrees on, that we should be able to get insurance and healthcare access for people with pre-existing conditions. The issue with that, so in technical terms, it's called guaranteed issue, which means a health insurance company, regardless of your health status or background, has to offer you an insurance policy um, if 
you think about auto insurance, which is maybe a little less complex, that would be like telling, you know, State Farm or Allstate that they have to give you an auto insurance policy and pay for whatever claims you have, regardless of the status of your car. Mm -hmm. So it would be like saying, wait until you get in a car accident, smash up the car and then, you know, call up your insurance agent, buy a policy and they're going to fix it for you. Right. Um, health is obviously more complex than that. Right. Uh, but the idea was that you couldn't tell an insurance company that they have to cover everyone regardless of their health status unless people are required to have insurance so that the risk pool for insurance companies has enough healthy people to cover the costs of people who are in need of care. Right. Um, this, the way we've sort of got around that, because I think even the original penalty for the individual mandate didn't have sharp enough teeth to force everyone into purchasing insurance, uh, mm -hmm. because in many cases, an insurance policy was more expensive than just paying the, the tax penalty for not having insurance. Um, but because we have enrollment periods, uh, that restricts things a little bit. And because we have a history of just carrying health insurance through our jobs or, or through other mechanisms, I think it's not in our behavior or culture to wait until we're in the hospital to want to fill out all the paperwork and go through applying for insurance. So ultimately, it's sort of worked out that more people have insurance. Uh, even without the the penalties for the individual mandate. So to me, that says that it is severable, but I'm not a Supreme Court justice. Right, right. And normally, obviously, we focus on, or the, the Research Council focuses on state policy. This is obviously a federal policy that's before the Supreme Court, but it sounds like um, the, 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 the advice would be, or the, the, the cautionary tale would be, let's... Uh, beware of unintended, unintended consequences if we were to uh, repeal without replacement because of some of the issues that you, uh, you just discussed and the impact it would have ripple effect across, across the state. Yeah, absolutely. One of the contemporary concerns that I haven't given much thought to yet, but that others have expressed is that as we see long-term struggles with some patients that have contracted the novel coronavirus and had the, the COVID-19 disease, um, would that be considered a pre-existing condition uh, as a risk factor for pneumonia, for heart disease, for other, you know, breathing or cardiovascular complications? So the timing, I think, is, is interesting. It, it, it raises a lot of questions. Right. Uh, I think the Affordable Care Act, uh, it, it's the, the full name, Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, is better because... The patient protection part is really, or I guess consumer protection would be more accurate. That's what a lot of the law focused on. Um, the affordability maybe is where it where it fell short. And so that's where we should be looking to, to make fixes and address the costs in the US health system. Because obviously nothing is perfect and we're not perfect in Michigan. Other states aren't perfect in the way uh, our health systems are run. Uh, they're expensive. We have poor health outcomes. Uh, we're looking at, as a nation, approaching 20% of our GDP spent in the health sector, which is really astronomical, and it belies a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of problems in the way we do things. Uh, but I haven't seen a good argument for why repealing any part of the Affordable Care Act gets us closer to having what we'd like to see mutually. 
But it sounds like why it's a, a, a topic for each uh, each and every election year and, and maybe for the foreseeable future. So if you're listening, you can read more about Tim's research on the Affordable Care Act uh, at crcmich.org. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us today, Tim. It's my pleasure. Along with this podcast, the Citizens Research Council of Michigan produces blogs, research papers, op-eds, and other resources to better inform Michigan citizens and policymakers. As an independent nonprofit, our work is funded by Michigan corporations, foundations, and individuals like yourself. If you like what you've heard, please consider making a donation by visiting crcmich.org and clicking on Get Involved. Thank you for your support.